session of Open Pitch, hosted by Kubi United. Kubi United believes that we are all on the same team, and the health of the sport comes from open dialogue and collaboration between all Kubi enthusiasts. If you enjoy Open Pitch or anything else Kubi United is doing, please consider making a donation at kubiunited.com. Whether it's one time or recurring, you can help offset the real cost of our efforts to support the community and advance this great green we all love. I'm Evan Fitzgerald, president of Kubi United. Joining me tonight is Josh Feathers. You know him as Dobby, and we also have Darren Finger. We're going to be talking a lot about Kube. We're going to be talking about what happened at the U.S. Kube Open here back on August 5th. And we're also going to be talking a bit about some of the, the article that, that Josh wrote on Kube personalities. So sit back, enjoy, and please contact us if you have any questions. All right, the last baseline is down. The king has been killed. We've shaken hands, and now it's time to chat on the open pitch. All right, welcome back to this next episode of The Open Pitch. Tonight, we got Josh Feathers and Darren Finger with me. First, we're going to talk about the U.S. Open. I'd say from our perspective, it was just an amazing tournament. We had our main sponsor, DuPont. They came up. They brought like eight to nine teams. They had a lot of people there watching, so it was really exciting just kind of have their support. I mean, every every year we've had this tournament in Beloit. They came up with, as our platinum sponsor, uh, once again, they came up big, and that really helps us and allows us to do a lot of the things, you know, that we can do from a marketing or even the prize money and, and even kind of just promoting and growing the event. So big thank you to DuPont once again for all they've done. Darren, uh, any comment? Uh, since you were the one who got to play that day uh, kind of on the field. Oh, yeah. Well, I, and to touch on, probably nobody has more fun than the DuPont teams. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, <laughs> with uh, with uh, Lenny back there, you know, helping promote and get teams, it's awesome. Can't say enough about working with the Beloit City Parks and Rec and visit Beloit. When we were out there uh, Thursday and Friday, marking the pitches, talking to the guys cutting the lawn. I mean, it's whatever we wanted. You can cut it again, get it down to two inches. They asked us, you know, where we needed it cut. It was uh, awesome. They do have irrigation there, so the grass was in great condition and short grass, which everyone loves for Coob. And I thought the painted lines came out nice. Yeah, overall, it was a great experience playing. And we got a lot of feedback, I, you know, with the, the random pitches. You got to play all over the park. Nobody was stuck on the same pitches. And from that perspective, I thought it was great. Yeah, it was kind of fun when we got a chance to talk with the guy who's actually cutting it that day and he, I remember he made the comment he's like boy if I had a little more heads up you know from supervisor I would have been planning it out and kind of getting the, the grass down shorter because he wasn't as happy with how bright green it was he you know he, he believes he could have got it so and that was kind of neat just talking to him and how passionate and then he found out he's a coob player unfortunately he was gone that weekend but I know he's already planning next year to bring some teams and he, he was really excited about the event and that's one thing I kind of noticed more so this year than I you know did in the past is just even walking around town the week after or or you know even kind of leading up to it there's a lot more people talking about Kube and asking about it so I'm gonna put a brochure out they more people are starting to know about it so it's kind of cool to see that there's kind of a buzz building around the tournament and you know locally and, and as we've seen in Eau Claire over the years that that's a really good thing if we can get more and more locals really talking about Kube and keep helping us build the event so it, yeah it definitely hats off to the whole city of Beloit especially visit Beloit can't say enough about 
you know, I, I was kind of looking at the original email I'd gotten. It was like November 2013. Matt Bozen had sent an email to Eric Anderson asking him about, hey, what can we do to kind of get Coop started here in Beloit, get a tournament? You know, he's been reading about some of the cool things that come along with running a tournament. And then uh, that Eric passed that on to me. So I followed up with Matt Bozen, and that's just been an awesome relationship ever since day one. They've helped us a lot from marketing to you know, we've gotten a couple of grants the last couple of years to help run the tournament. They've really gotten a lot more local people involved in promoting the heck out of it. And so definitely hats off to visit Beloit. And yeah, I agree. In the last two years, you know, Sonia from Parks and Rec played last year. Matt Bozen's played both years. Celestino played this year. So it's great. We get their support in many different ways. Yeah, and that was really huge. Celestino Ruffini coming out. He's he's the director of Visit Beloit. This is the first time he's actually been there. You know, definitely the comments that he had afterwards that he, he could see he's really excited about it and sees kind of the vision for what, you know, what this kind of event could mean for, for Beloit as well, you know, from our perspective, what it can do for Coob. So it was definitely excited to you know, see that. Even with DuPont, the first year I ran it when I was still working there, I had, you know, a lot of the players who played that day were from DuPont. A lot of the managers had been there. They saw kind of a little event. You know, they didn't think much of it. Um, but, you know, fortunately, they've still been supporting it. But then this year, a lot of those guys came out just to watch. And they were just amazed, you know, how big of an event it was and how much it had grown in, in just a couple of short years. It sounds like they're really excited next year to help us out again. And even, and even uh, sounds like they want to even promote it harder for the plant to get even more people out. So all really, really good, good news after afterwards from our partners and our sponsors. And I think it was a just a whole different vibe this year compared to the last 16 more teams. We, we had more pitches, pitches were more spread out. We tried to improve things, moving the scoring tent, you know, got some more improvements to make, maybe put a sign up uh, for scoring and merchandise and whatnot. I think we, you know, we used a lot more of the park, had the radio station there, a lot, a lot of good, you know, four separate pitches for the quarterfinals of the championship bracket. And uh, I think we made a lot of nice improvements. And- definitely want to touch on that, having the radio station there. That definitely brought a, a, a fun vibe to it. And even like post-promotion, they had kind of a cool little video that I'm getting a lot of views. I think it was their most viewed video. Um, and this is like the biggest radio station in the area. And the video they put out is being quite a bit by far the largest, most viewed video they've ever put out on their Facebook page. So that was kind of a cool thing. And definitely a lot of people that the reach of that radio station heard about Coob and, you know, even had some people when I was out at the rock playing, you know, Oh yeah, I heard about this game Coob on the radio. And so hopefully it's growing. And, you know, overall it's, it just hopefully helps all the tournaments in the area, just Coob in general, the more and more kind of excitement we get around the game. So I think we kind of met a lot of those accomplishments and that's, and a lot of that was because of support of visit Beloit with, with the grant money that they gave us. Uh, boy weather, if we could order that weather every year, I think we'd be, <laughs> I think everybody would be really, really happy. Yeah, I agree. You know, Friday night social to Saturday to the Sunday one v one we had it was uh, just perfect. Yeah, and that, that Friday night social turned out to be a lot of fun. You know, it was we had a lot of people out at the Rock just playing coob. You know, I ended up having to just go home because <laughs> I just knew it was going to be a really early morning. But uh, looked like we still had three four pitches going really strong when I left. So that was a really cool thing to see, and I think a lot of a lot of local people getting to see a lot of people playing coob and having fun. That was a really cool thing. So from the concession standpoint, it, it is nice having. So this is the fourth year in a row that the Beloit Youth Hockey Association has come out. So this year was by far there. Obviously, with the more people we had in the park and more people coming to watch, and they said this is by far end up being a, a really good fundraiser for them. So I was kind of happy for that because sometimes with those concession stands, especially smaller events, it's always that balance of how much it was worth it for the person coming out and that you're promoting. And they said this year it was definitely a really good one for them. You know, I had good brats and, and the hot dogs. And the one nice thing is too in Beloit, you know, we don't have issues with having alcohol in the park there. And so um, even beer sales and, you know, just people having fun as long as they're not bringing their own glass. It's a, it's kind of makes for a really fun kind of casual atmosphere out there. Yeah. You know, 
great planning begets great events. And I'll tell you what, we kind of had an embarrassment or issues when it came to the amount of people that we had helping along with uh, the Could United folks and just had so much support. You know, Chris Hodges and I drove up. We got there around noon and pitches were already painted. It kind of felt like we were, we were useless, but um, <laughs> as, as Coop United, with, with everyone working together, we were able to really spend a lot of time planning this event, and I think that showed. Yeah, and it is really cool getting, you know, the nice thing with, you know, having our directors here is all of us have a, had a lot of experience running tournaments, and there's just a lot of really cool ideas that come to the table. A lot of, you know, everybody does their part, you know, even even all the people who've helped us recruit, you know. I mean, I know Madison up there in the league, you know, Aaron Berry pitched in help, and Cody, and you know, and Coob Life, and, you know, there's a lot, a lot of other clubs, and, you know, the Michigan guys were fantastic who came down. Coob on, you know, they've been, they've been great, you know, getting videos out there, photos, kind of giving us a lot of some of the AV support that you know, to really to every tournament, but yeah, they definitely, we definitely really appreciate they've all done. And it's just kind of cool how it felt like the whole Coop community kind of comes together to pull off events like this. And so big thanks to everybody, you know, in the Coop community, as well as our local partners. Yeah. And that Friday night was really good for a person that, that was kind of working all day Saturday to get some throws in and drink a few beers. So I'm, I'm good with that. Anytime we go to the rock and play coop, I'm in. Yeah, exactly. That was a lot of fun. You know, and it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's like, like in my, my brother's case, you know, playing with Nicholas from the, uh, the young guy from Switzerland who came down, they had no idea what to expect as teammates. And so they got to hang out Friday, got to practice, play against a lot of really good teams, get a feel for it. Definitely helped pay off as they, you know, like they ended up with the bronze. And those are two guys who'd never, who'd never met until that Friday. And so I think it was just a good experience for a lot of people to test themselves as a team as well as uh, kind of mix and match with different players. It was, it was a lot of fun. So I got to ask whether have a question. I got some feedback on the tournament from a pretty competitive player who will remain anonymous, but <laughs> interested in Darren's thoughts on this. This person says that the Cube United U.S. Open was the cleanest tournament that they've ever played played on, and I don't know if that's something, Darren, that you experienced through the day or if that was just something that was made up to make, make me feel good as, as the referee. <laughs> no, no, I... <laughs> I I think the same thing. I mean, I, everyone's throwing vertical. I didn't. Well, if I had a question on the, the line call, obviously the painted lines. It's not perfect. It's not painted on a piece of you know paper. It's on the grass. Just call a ref over, and you know you get a, another opinion, and that uh, you move on. But yeah, as far as the throwing goes, and I think the lines basically fix stepping over the line issue. It's easy to see. So I agree with that person's sentiment. Yeah, as a ref, it just felt really clean. I mean, the, you know, and I think even some of the the you know, marketing we've been doing a lot of the, you know, I know there's been a lot of club leaders kind of stepping up and helping promote the whole thing with the vertical batons. That really goes a long way as a player and as a ref to have those lines there to watch. Boy, I mean, I, you don't, I mean, nobody has any doubt whether or not they're stepping over the line. And I think just having that there, it just becomes kind of subconscious that they just know not to step over it. You know, it's just kind of, kind of our nature. So I didn't even see anybody even really come close. Uh, the whole day or, you know, or had any question on that. So that was, that was really neat. Probably the only, uh, the one situation I'd probably done a little bit different as, as we talked about in our meetings is I ended up having to call a helicopter on my brother. I think hindsight, we probably should have switched the referees for that game. Cause I know he wasn't, <laughs> cause it, it kind of, it, I get it. Cause it kind of puts a, him in a hard position because you know, that uh, the other team may say, well, Hey, you know, as a, 
as a ref that, you know, you if, if you don't call the helicopter, then, you know, the, the other team can say, well, that's because it's your brother. So, I mean, so, but other than that, it was, it was such an easy tournament to, to be a referee. It was a lot of fun. We were, we were getting a lot of questions, you know, because we were there right away to help uh, as a new player came up, the way we worked with our level one referees, where if, you know, they, they were, there's only limited things that they were allowed to call. Um, and if they had any questions, they escalated it quickly. We were on the, you know, we had the walkie talkies with Josh, myself, or Lynn Sager. We're over there right away and helping out. And so I think it just kind of kept the games going quickly. And if anybody had any doubts, we were able to resolve them right away. So that was really cool. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is if I would have called your brother on a helicopter, he would have been completely cool with it. I don't know. You may have heard about it when you're <laughs> teaming up with him in a manna. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, we're joking. I was an umpire one time and called him out on a third strike in a, a middle school game. And uh, he's still mad at me about that. So you never know. But, yeah. Oh, this goes back. This goes back. There's some history here. Exactly. Peel back the layers on this. <laughs> right. You know, no, he, he's like, he's really cool with it. And he understands. And the funny thing is he, he knows he's been with his throwing style is every once in a while he gets a pretty wonky baton but i played him saturday and he changed his uh changed his grip he's watching phil g throw and uh, change his grip and he was very vertical and he just kicked my butt all over the field so i think if anything it's kind of helped him to to work on kind of improving that because he, he doesn't want to be in that position either to put his, himself or his team i think that was a positive thing overall and like I said, as a player playing him this weekend, he's, I think he's even improved since then. So that's, that's a little scary overall. I mean, I was, you look at the competitive of the teams and I think this is like, you know, Darren and there actually is, is Kubi Knight is all we've talked about it Two player with the depth of, of teams we have right now. And that really caused for a really fun to watch. And I'm sure I would think a fun to play with the two player. Sometimes we always kind of wonder, well, it's not our culture to only, you know, it's kind of have fixed team sizes, but overall I, <laughs> I would say it, it, it's different, and I think it's it definitely makes it seems to make the games go really clean, really efficiently, and a lot of fun. I don't know, Darren, as a player, if you have any comments on that. Yeah, definitely. I really like the two-player only format. I think when you go to a tournament like this, and like you were talking about, the the depth of the top sixteen was awesome. I think going into it, it's hard to look. It was hard to look at the rosters and say so and so is going to win, this team's going to win, or these these are going to be the you know four teams that have a chance. Or I, I think some of the three-player tournaments you can kind of pick out the handful of teams that are gonna I'll probably win Kyle and I were fortunate enough to get the number one seed we played uh Dave Giese and um, Brian Jones as a 16 seed and they were two long games eight nine ten groups in play and they you know they had us down so it was uh that was a true testament to the competitive nature of the, the tournament yeah it is a player I know I've heard a lot of people say just they just like getting to throw three batons, you know. I mean, you you get a lot more variety of shots in a day. Uh, sometimes that player who only throws a fix, fifth and sixth batons, they may not see a four meter almost all day. It's kind of a cool thing to mix things up. And you know, at this point, you know, we were kind of debating on do we want to make it, a, you know, potentially a two or three player team in the future. I'd say after this, I'm personally, my personal opinion is it's we're going to stay with two player, and if we have to get up to eventually 200 teams, fantastic. But I, I think there's definitely a a place for two player teams in the U.S. Coupe right now. And I think too there was different strategy. I mean, it wasn't like every team was one guy through the first three, one guy through the last three. And Dave and Brian were a good example. I mean, they were talking, figuring out what worked best for them. So uh, I don't think it was a lot different than when you have a three player team. Right. 
Right. Yeah. And even when you do that three and three strategy, I mean, you got to be careful because if that, that second player is doing nothing but throwing eight meters all day, they're not really in sync with the four meters and it can come back to bite them, you know? So it's, you know, so there's, there's definitely a lot of things you got to think about because you're playing a lot of games and you're, you know, and you don't want to be in that critical spot where you haven't really thrown that baton in that, you know, when, <laughs> when it had a four meter almost all day. So yeah, without any restriction on the batons, there's still a lot of strategy. And I think even more so in a lot of, a lot of cases trying to figure out what's the right combination to do each time i'd say overall i'd say we don't have any intention of changing that because that that seemed to work really really well overall a couple crazy things happened during the tournament that uh, one is a tradition every year we've had rock paper scissors that i don't know what you guys think but when i when i first heard about this they kind of suggested it because we were by the rock river so they thought ah let's have this rock paper scissors this is an idea matt bozen had from visit beloit and i thought i don't know how that's going to work but i'll tell you what People get intense and they're having a lot of fun. It's, it's everything from little kids, spectators, tournament, you know, people, referees, directors, everybody get involved. There's 64 people doing it. And that's just a fun, fun addition to an event. It kind of gives you a nice little break from the cube, kind of even gets people closer together and talking and more. Kind of curious from your guys' perspective what you think of that event. Yeah, I, I thought it was, it was more enthusiasm than I, I remembered from the last few years. And it was kind of neat to see Celestino. The director of Visibly win the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Since it was his team running it, but, but yeah, it was, it was uh, people had a blast. I mean, my wife and kids were in it. My kids' friends, they probably along were in it, and they had a good time. It's a nice break. Yeah, it was a nice break in the day. I agree, and I think a lot of people went to the rock paper scissors tournament, and a cube game broke out. There were a lot of people <laughs> there that you know were playing in the in that rock paper scissors that hadn't hadn't really heard of cube so they got to stick around watching cube and we actually had a, a very large vinyl banner that kind of talks about how to play and we saw a lot of people going over and looking at that taking pictures of it so i think that was awesome yeah and that's something i think we're going to try to bring to you know definitely events that more of us come just because as a spectator you get those people wanting by and they don't really know what to think and yeah I, I think i saw at least a good i would say well over a dozen to 20 people that i just personally spotted hanging out by those you know and and for those people who weren't there if you go on our, our website kubeunited.com under the rules we created this poster that brian jones helped us you know he did the graphic design on and you know we blew it up into i think it was like a four it was a three by four vinyl sign that we put up at the park. We had that in two locations. So people come by and they could you know, say, what the heck is going on? Well, they could read the rules and, and we definitely had a lot of, you know, a lot of people wander over, bought some sets because of it, uh, asked a lot of questions, hung out. And that was a nice addition. I don't remember which one of us came up with that idea, but uh, it might've been, I think it might've been Dave Easy, but absolutely terrific idea. Cause that, that really, you know, kind of brought a lot of people, kind of those people just walking by, checking things out. Yeah, so that, that was a really cool addition to the to the tournament, and you know that was something we was able to pay with with the Visit Beloit grant to help market the event. So that, that, that was fantastic. The other thing that was kind of interesting was Texas Kubum. I don't know if either did either of you guys get to watch any of that. I did not. So Chad Bevers came up with what turned out to be a really cool idea. He kind of coordinated it with the with the WJVL radio, and he he had fifty two cubes that he'd brought from. Uh, you know, he had the red and white cubes from the old Clash of the Cube tournament, and he actually taped cards on the back. So then the radio station had basically, you know, people could come in and put their name in during the morning 
and they, they drew uh, six names. We brought them all over in between, kind of like about the same time the uh, rock, paper, scissors was going on. But then each player got to throw batons until they could knock down five of the cubes. And then they took those five, you know, cubes. If they knocked down six, they got to pick out which five out of the six they wanted and then set up. But they all had their, their five cubes after this round of what we call Texas Kubum. And then they, you know, they took off the cards and saw who had the best hand. Whoever had the best hand ended up winning some really sweet Milwaukee Brewer tickets that the that the radio station had handed out for us. So that was, I don't know, that was kind of a cool idea. I think that could work more into fundraisers and other tournaments in the future. Uh, so big hats off to, to Chad on that one. I could tell people were having a lot of fun. It, it drew a lot of people, even from outside of the tournament, to kind of come by and check it out. Uh, so that was kind of a, that was a really kind of a fun idea that Chad came up with. And uh, I know Chad wasn't able to make it tonight. So Darren filled in. I don't know if he mentioned that, but Chad, I don't know. He's he's a natural up there with the microphone and kind of getting people kind of excited about Kube and talking around, doing his trivia. Like I said, I mean, I don't know if you guys had a perspective on that, but I, I don't. To me, that, that 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 does add a lot of fun to the event as well. I was just disappointed I wasn't able to play Texas Kubum, and it looked <laughs> like a blast. Yeah, I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that one in the future because that was really cool. <laughs> yeah, we we had the, in the finals, we had uh, Chaska, Phil G, and basically ended up winning there in Team Caspinner Kings. They... You know, they end up winning the tournament. It, it was a great match between, you know, I guess uh, squirrel damage between Darren and Kyle Weekland. But even just every one of those things from the quarter, around to 16, we had some really tough matchups. You know, a couple of them that, you know, it was, was a bit of a surprise. We had last year's U.S. Open champions, which is uh, Chris Hodges and Dave Elringer were I think we can say upset by uh, Joe and J.R. Hersha. You know, what they called knock on wood, I believe, at this thing. And, you know, they played lights out. I got to referee that game. I was over there, and it was Joe and J.R. just played lights out. And like Chris says, there's nothing we could do. They, we had no answer for it because they just, you know, they didn't miss. And, you know, and that was two games back-to-back. They had, like, just huge rounds where they would clear, like, four cubes on their turn after clearing the field quickly. And it was, just, yeah, there wasn't much they could do. So definitely hats off to Joe and J.R. Um, and on the pitch right next to it, uh, we had this year's, two-thirds of this year's national champions got, I guess you could call it upset, um, Pat Rupp and Nicholas from Switzerland uh, were able to take them in two out of three and definitely really fun, competitive, exciting games there where both teams played high level. So, you know, I don't know if it's just more that two-player format brings that out, but there was, they said, there's some really good matches going on in that round of 16, probably more so than any other tournament I've seen. Yeah, then uh, Knock on Wood had to play Appetite for Destruction in the Constellation A right off the bat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, yeah, the first <laughs> round of Constellation A, we had what, I think we counted five gold medals in that match. <laughs> so, yeah, that doesn't happen everywhere, that's for sure. But, you know, it was just one of those things, you know, I just talk a little bit to Greg and he kind of made the comment it's like well when you don't knock things down and when you're playing against really good players you don't get many chances they were able to come back and win the consolation a uh, appetite of destruction was and but yeah Scott and Greg it was it was awesome having those guys there and and, and seeing so many really really high level players so it was a lot of fun the one thing is as me as 1v1 uh, you know definitely when you're kind of coordinating and and organizing the tournament on Friday and Saturday to me it was like just awesome to get out and play in that 1v1 tournament Sunday. I think, Darren, you'd mentioned we had like 14 out of the 16 quarterfinals were there. Uh, we had some local players who had never been to a tournament before showed up and played. I think we had, what, 22, 24 players. For me, it was just like the perfect way to end the weekend because, you know, we had all those guys out there just having fun playing Kube. And it was, uh, there's, you know, everybody was kind of kind of cutting up on each other and having a good time. And, 
you know, we, the whole idea was to kind of get it to where uh, at noon, you know, we had all these people traveling, so we wanted to be able to get them back on the road at noon and hopefully get home in a decent time. So I think we accomplished that, that we got it, like Darren had mentioned earlier, it was a beautiful morning and, and, you know, hats off to Phil Dickinson for, for we ended up with a four-way tie with five and one. Uh, we used the opponent score with the system. Phil Dickinson was end up coming out, come out on top. I mean, I don't know, Darren, if you got any comment on that one, but. Like yeah, it was a fun morning. I didn't know exactly how many would show up, so I got there early, set up 14 pitches. Yeah, we ended up having 22 people, a lot of a lot of good players, and I randomly drew Phil G right off the bat, and he showed me how to play Coob. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it took me one of my last five to get into that top three, but uh, it, it was a lot of people had fun. I mean, I know Joe won his first couple matches, and uh, JR beat Ford off the bat, and, you know, everyone just playing a lot of good competitive matches and uh, I think everyone had a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like the spirit was really high and, you know, and definitely having the Chaska guys there is, is a lot of fun as well as the Michigan guys. Cause you know, all those guys are just, just seem to love Kube and, and bring a lot of fun in, in tournaments. And as I posted on the Kube United page, uh, you know, I got a call from one of the, actually Lenny Becker from the DuPont and he said, Hey, figure out who played. We had one of the brand new teams there. Um, who'd never actually had never even played Coop. They really didn't really know what it was, but they were kind of talked into, you know, coming out and giving a shot. And they said, you know, they, they had their first two games, the teams kind of took them aside and, and showed them how to play. And, you know, the first one ended up being the Stoughton, you know, Diane Sparkman and her teammates had showed them the first game. And then when I found out the second game, it was Phil and Ford who went on to win the tournament, ended up spending a lot of time and spreading what they know about Coob and teaching them some of the, you know, strategies as well as, as how to play. And, and that team uh, just had, you know, I, I think we got a couple people who are, who've already signed up for other Coop tournaments now already. So it's really cool to see everybody working together to spread the word. So definitely hats off to all them as well. One interesting thing kind of segue off to more of a global i saw a bunch of pictures and a little bit of video from the swedish national tournament and looked very familiar out there it was all painted pitches it looked like they were playing 100 in so it, it looked a lot what the way us open did so that was kind of neat to see i know that there are other tournaments in europe who've been using the painted pitches and i think in switzerland it's really common they actually use string to do it so you know so there's definitely you know there's definitely other people doing what we're doing you know with the us open and it did look like it was two player tournaments as well there so kind of neat to see we all you know what we hear a lot about is the vm because that's obviously kind of the big one but yet even their national tournament there is is doing that so it just kind of shows that there's a lot of ways to do different ideas for Coop. i know dobby if you had any thoughts on you know kind of the painted pitches being used elsewhere as well yeah i think what we need to do and i'm going to sign you up for something even though you're the president of Coop united but <laughs> what what we need to do is publish a document on how you and the other Coop united folks paint pitches because I was surprised when, when we rolled into town at noon and everything was painted. And I know that there's some tips and tricks that there's tournament organizers across the world that would probably really like to have. And it feels like something that could be United could deliver if we work together and maybe put a document together on how we kind of paint pitches and uh, get feedback from other people to maybe streamline it even further, make it so- something that's super easy, maybe uh, figure out how you can do it with paint. Maybe there's a different process for if you can't use paint at the park, you can use chalk. But yeah, it, it comes, for, you know, for me, I work in IT security, so I'm one of those people that always seems to be wearing a tinfoil hat and safety just comes kind of natural to me. And, you know, when you take on the role, uh, just to kind of, I guess, segue into safety and 
You know, that's the reason that I think painted pitches are uh, superior, I'll say it, is because of the risk that is reduced and mitigated, you know, and, and there's a lot of people out there that say that, you know, it's a little easier to drill or it's a little easier to call in and out. And for me personally, I don't care as much as I care about the well-being of the participants and the spectators and all of my volunteers when I'm running a tournament. And as a tournament director, you're accountable. You're accountable for all those people. So if we can take out in a 32-team tournament, if we can take out, what, 16 times 6, whatever that number is. I'm not good at math, but I know that's a big number. (laughs) Thank you. If we can take out 96 threats, right, from the field, I'm all for it. And it kind of goes into maybe you can't. Maybe the, the, you know, the tournament uh, or or the, the city at the park or however it works, you can't really chalk or paint the pitches. I would encourage those that have to use pens to mitigate as much risk as they can by painting them a bright color. I'd suggest, you know, making sure that they're using rounded versus, you know, something else that's a little more uh, sharp and put them in fairly deep. Anything you can do to, to kind of get get those that vulnerability mitigated. And that's just the way I look at it. I see I see all those pins and I just see people kind of falling on them. And I, as, as a tournament organizer, I know that's the last thing people want. Right. Yeah. And as a barefoot player you know, myself, I've, I, I've I've broken two toes on these pins over the years, and I definitely agree with the safety part. I know Dee Dee Halverson had seen she had really nasty looking you know bruises and, and from from one time when she tripped on one and i think that's exactly right the one thing is like working in kind of you know the manufacturing environments i have for a lot of years now uh, you know we go through a lot of training on identifying risks and trip hazards are a big one you know and it's you know you have all these little kids running around it's definitely something to consider uh, i know the uh, talking to nicholas from switzerland he says all their tournaments use string i'm not quite as, as josh had mentioned earlier i think you know Darren and I have been kind of working on it. Even Chad Bevers worked on a process of painting the pitches where we it, we can do them really fast now. And that, you know, so I'm not so sure I could get that kind of speed or, you know, the amount of effort doing string yet. But, you know, I guess that's something to think about as well. But even then, I still see that as a little bit of a trip hazard as well. I guess going, kind of going back to what I've learned, you know, working with DuPont and even with Christian Hansworm at now is we focus a lot on safety. You look for things that are line of sight, things that can cause issues and you know, I, I do feel good about removing them as a player. I actually feel like, you know, when I played with them, it's it's so much easier to actually see if it's in or out. Uh, a lot of times you can just kind of look at it. It's laying on it. Oh, is it touching paint? No, nope, it's out. Every once in a while you get those ones that are real close, and I get it. Like Darren had mentioned, it's, we're not painting on paper, so you know, it gets a little bit tricky. But, you know, one thing we kind of do is lift the cube a little bit, brush the grass, set it back down. If you can still see green, it's in. If you don't, it's out. So I think there's very little doubt, you know, whether it's in or out. So I don't, overall, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Hopefully more people kind of, kind of see that from that perspective as well. Yeah. And that's, you know, when you look at safety, that's only one facet of safety when it comes to organizing a tournament. I mean, the things that you have to look for as a tournament organizer could be, should we have a first aid tent at, at the tournament? Should we ask tournament participants or if if they know CPR and if we could call on them if there was ever an incident where we needed them, or even having a volunteer on site that knows CPR, 
Yeah. You know, weather, weather, weather. That's a big one. You know, you don't want any of your players <laughs> hit by lightning. No. That'd be bad. Simple things, inspecting your site just for potential problems. Uh, can, you know, an orange cone over a bad spot in the field can significantly mitigate so much risk. Even at, at the legal standpoint, like, you got to review all those contracts. As a tournament organizer, when you go to, to get a, you know, from the city fields, I know in Des Moines at least, we had to sign our life away. There were times where we seriously considered getting umbrella policies as tournament organizers, making sure that we're getting waivers from tournament players. All this stuff you need to at least consider and make the appropriate decision whether you want to assume the risk or whether it's risk that you know that you can mitigate by by doing something about the sun, a big one. You know, sun is is a critical health issue. We've had we've seen that in tournament play. Consider, you know, maybe a tournament, maybe we should just start providing sun and safety tips as part of our communications out. Uh, I know that the, some tournaments do that, and I respect that a lot. There, there's a lot of stuff we can do even before the event even starts or the tournament starts that, that can help uh, make sure that the players and the participants and all the volunteers are as safe as possible. So I guess that's, I'm, I'll get off my soapbox, but if you ever have any questions as a tournament organizer about what things you should be looking at from a safety standpoint, whether before an event or during an event, please reach out and the United can try to help as best as they can. With, with all the experience that we've had, we should be able to provide some pretty meaningful advice and consultation. Yeah, and we've even gotten, you know, some volunteer legal kind of support to help us review some, you know, documents, you know, as Josh was saying, I think that's something we're going to be taking on here, you know, definitely as the coop season kind of winds down here, it's one of our projects is to get some documentation or information out there as coop directors, some things that you really should be thinking about. I know all of all six of us feel really do, do feel passionate about trying to keep this game safe and fun for everyone. So actually, I'm going to use that to kind of segue onto our next thing. A lot of you hopefully kind of checked out on Kuban's website. Josh wrote an article called The Profiles of Coob Players. And uh, a lot of that was kind of talking about the different types of personalities and, you know, why they play Coob. And I thought it found it to be uh, very insightful. At first, when I read it, it seemed, you know, a little lighthearted. And the more you kind of read it a second time, and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, there's some really powerful information here that we can think about. Uh, So I guess, Josh, I'm going to kind of tee that one back off to you and and maybe kind of talk through that article, what kind of got you to, you know, what kind of prompted you to come up with this article and Maybe we can even dive into the details on some of the different types of personalities that was mentioned. Yeah, we're going to have some fun tonight with this. <laughs> if you want to follow along, you can go out to kuban.com, and you should be able to look in the opinions section for the uh, article, The Profiles of Coop Players. And this came from uh, some of the research that I have done in regards to card and board games. When I was looking at at board game design, trying to figure out what motivated people to play and why they played and how they played, coupled that with some of the the marketing and advertising studies that I've done as part of my role with my company, one of the things that I wanted to dig into with this was trying to identify why people – not just play the game, but what they what they enjoy about the game. So dig into why players enjoy the game and dig into what the player likes about the game. And, and those two things are on two different axes. 
if you will. So you can you look at it, why they play the game maybe on an x-axis and what they like about the game on the y. But, you know, the, the idea is that tournament organizers, suppliers of CubeSats, clubs that are trying to either retain or expand uh, their membership have a different they they have a, a ton of different demographics to an extent with with these different profiles and as you read through you know i kind of talk about the the different i guess the the common ones that i've seen at least in my experience playing since 2010 and, and i've i gave them names as game components of the sport and when it comes to the what i'll call the psychographic profiles and then the aesthetic profile is really what what it is you like about the game and and so i thought i'd kind of i guess ask uh you and darren evan and darren <laughs> some questions to see if maybe you guys fit into any of these profiles and i'm gonna try to channel my inner jeff foxworthy for any of you old timers that know what that means he did a he was a comedian and he always did um what was it you might be a redneck if right i'm going to use that with the the, the profiles in, in the article so hopefully you're following along everyone out there in podcast land we're going to start you might be a king if you ever went for a long baseline double with your last baton any of you guys done that before i think uh i throw a hard at the field coup so i might always seem like i'm going for a double <laughs> yeah i definitely tend to i would say in, in two cases one more so when if i'm behind you know and, and especially if i'm playing against a good team i may push to do that a little bit more and also if, if i'm playing a game where it's really not nothing on the line like a friendly or kind of demonstrating them you know with people at work or or out of the rock or something like that you know i will definitely find myself doing that but in a competitive match i try you know if it's my six especially if it's my six baton i tend to you know really kind of focus in and just try to focus on the field coup but uh kind of like darren says there's i tend to throw pretty hard so a lot of my shots end up in the back row anyway but i would say mentally uh those are the two cases where i do that more often so evan's a backyard king got it yep. so <laughs> you might be a <laughs> you might be a king if you've ever killed the king through your legs yeah, in a tournament definitely not in a tournament no in my yard <laughs> No, I haven't uh, done a tournament. I did kind of what we refer to as a scorpion shot. I was down in, uh, I think, the very first Michigan tournament. Somebody saw me practicing, and that's kind of like a shot where I actually bring the baton where I kind of throw it from behind my back. It goes over my shoulder, hopefully without hitting myself on the head, which does happen a lot, and then uh, trying to kill the king that way. So uh, Ian Dickinson, Phil's, Phil's son, referred to that as a scorpion shot, and uh, they convinced me to do it in the finals of that tournament. So that was the that was the one time I've actually done that in the in the actual competitive play. <laughs> All right, one more. You might be a king if you drilled from the outside of the pitch to the inside of the pitch on a rethrow. So goofy, Darren, Darren, you do this all all the time, right? Goofy cutting. Uh, I did goofy cutting. I. I, I Tried one on a second throw at Lightning Spring and got a penalty. And I went, "What am I doing?" <laughs> There's enough room. I okay. thought I could pull it off, and I didn't. So that was the last. Got some king tendencies. All right, so far, Darren, you're more of a king than Evan. <laughs> All right, let's move on to batons. Well, hold on. Let me go back. Sorry. 
So King is characterized really about wanting to play large and experience amazing things. So they, they love heavy and exciting blasts. They love big combos, and they just love it when there's 10 in play so that they can try to hit all 10 with one baton. So that's kind of your, your King profile. We'll move on to batons. You might be a baton if you ever drilled a tube long. So maybe like a seven meter drill. No, not here. Yeah, and I've actually been working a little bit more into my game. Um, I'll do it if I have six batons on my side and I only have one cube to drill. I do seem to get a few more long baseline doubles. I have to make sure my teammate's good with it, but that is something I've kind of slowly been bringing into my game. But I wouldn't say it, it's more of a recent than the last, yeah, really within the last this year. Um, I've done that, but once again, I got to make sure my my teammates cool with it before I do it. And uh, I don't know if I would do it in the championship game or not. But that, that that's something I've slowly been kind of bringing into my game. Gotcha. Okay, you might be a baton if you've piloted new throws or stances when the game's on the line. Definitely not. <laughs> Yeah, that always backfires on me when I've tried that. <laughs> <laughs> I've rarely had a good success with that. It's it's kind of funny. Uh, All right. Yeah, we make those changes, and those are best for the backyard versus the middle of the game. <laughs> All right, one more. You might be a baton if you've been upset when you hit an 8-meter because your rotation was off. Nope, I'm always happy when I hit an 8-meter. I don't care. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is kind of funny. Is uh, I know when Dave Easy and I play a lot, that's that's something we comment. It's like, ah, eh, we hit it, but you know, <laughs> we're still we're we're discussing the rotation of our batons every <laughs> every round usually. So I'd probably be a bit more of a baton on that one. Well, it's my psychographic opinion that Evan, you are more of a baton than Darren. <laughs> and a baton. Uh, when we talk about batons, we're looking at people that want to be technically precise. They, they focus on the rotation of their throws. They generally will, will play um, in the upfield with finesse. They'll use the baton to, to try to get the combo, uh, and, and they really want to close games quickly and efficiently. Okay, next up is uh, you might be a coob if you do math during a game. Oh, yeah. I think math, yeah, my math is part of the game in my head, I guess. Yeah. And Evan, you doing any math? Oh, yeah, and that's, uh, you know, I've always been really attracted to a lot of the analysis Chris Hodges has done over the years, and, you know, I'm always kind of trying to find out, you know, mathematical edges in games and, you know, knowing the statistics or knowing knowing math is, you know, it, it is an important part of playing winning coup, I believe. I know when I drill X amount of coups, how many it should take me or less to get down. I know that, you know. Yep. All right, all right. You might be a coob if you aim for a baseline coob that may be just a little off kilter instead of any of the other ones. I can't say I've ever done that. <laughs> oh, I, I, I have definitely done that. I, you know, if I see that one coob, it's a little bit odd. But you know, I tend to like to always try to work left or right. Um, but there's times, especially if I'm behind and I feel like I have a better shot at, you know, getting one coob down over another. Um, I will take that one um, if it's if it's from the left to the center. Um, pretty rare I'll ever go on the right-hand side and try to take out one of those early. Awesome. You might be a coob if you practice the king lag in your backyard at night. I don't, I don't think I've ever practiced the king lag. 
No, I luckily it's nice having Dave as a teammate because I know he's he's the guy who does that. So <laughs> if you if you want somebody who does that, that's Dave Giese, that's for sure. Yeah, I tend to agree. <laughs> I, I've been known to practice that. So, but it looks like Evan, you might be just slightly more of a coob than Darren. And when we talk about coobs. When it comes to these psychographic profiles, we, what we look at is someone characterized by their competitive nature. Uh, they play prim primarily to demonstrate their skills and abilities. They look at the team as part of their the thing that they own. They, they want the team to be good, and they, they want to grind an opponent out in every phase of the game and squeeze every advantage that, that there is to be squeezed during a tournament. Uh, they, they feel that, that small percentages throughout the course of a tournament add up at the end of the day. And then what we have next is what we call our aesthetic profiles. And when we talk about aesthetic profiles, we, we kind of peel back the layers on why people like the game. And we've got two of those. We've got Vikings. And I'll ask you a question. We'll see if uh, Darren or Evan, uh, which one of them is more of a Viking. You might be a Viking. If you have ever asked someone, throw for me so that you can go get a beer. Nope, I'm definitely not. <laughs> I'm definitely a big no on that one. It's a tie. It's a tie. <laughs> and you might be an athlete if you fist pump after crushing your kid in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen Darren do that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, the matches I do when I... I think I've done a good job against the kids. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It doesn't sound like Evan's ever done that. So, Darren, you're the athlete, and Evan's more of the Viking. So. Yeah, no, and that's the one that really stands out to me. You know, I guess these last two you talked about is, you know, a lot of times I've kind of heard people, wow, it, he's not even having fun playing Coob, but it's really just the opposite. You know, I'd say that the more athletes tend to be the types that are out there. You know, maybe they are, you know, maybe not necessarily what drives them isn't the, you know, getting drunk and, you know, wearing the lampshade on head and being a goofball out there, you know, but, you know, there's still people having fun and, I you know, otherwise they wouldn't keep coming back for Coop. So I think that's something that, you know, people should kind of consider is, you know, you do have those two different types of people who kind of look at Coop, you know, maybe a little bit more. So obviously some people are a blend of both, you know, maybe one's more on the Viking side, which more on the athlete. But I think that's, it's definitely an important distinction that I think as directors or fellow players, players and everything else is you know fun fun doesn't always mean the same thing to everybody i think david you have the best fist pump when you raise it when you raise it to the sky after like a two eight meters or something like that i do like hitting two eight meters in a row. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty much my favorite thing ever so. it is a very good feeling it's funny, it? we each have our own reactions but we probably don't even know that we're actually you know it's not something you even think about you just do it because that's what you do <laughs> yeah yeah i remember josh and i kind of watching the video after the 2015 nationals and he did this kind of like a, a figure eight thing in the air and then pointed to the sky. And I was like, did you even <laughs> notice yourself doing that? And he's like, he's like, Nope. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. It's all reactionary. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a rush, right? I mean, really but, you is. know, I mean, exactly. And, and, you know, our little experiment here was, was all in good fun, good tongue in cheek. Obviously we're not trying to, to corral people into different, you know, stereotypes or anything. And I hope that people understand that. But at the end of the day, there this exists. That you know, there are people out there that that lean this way or that way. 
so, you know, it's a, a good example. Let's say that there's a, a cube supplier, a, a manufacturer of cube sets out there. I mean, let's say they make two different kinds of sets. They make a, a Swedish competitive set that is uh, weighted, and, and we make sure that the dimensions are accurate to what is played over at, at Worlds. They're made of poplar. And they run, you know, 100 to 150 dollars. You might have different words on that set to try to sell them because you know that your demographic for for selling those sets is going to be more of that athlete than maybe a set that that isn't as close to the specs that's used with maybe pine that, that is more of a recreational set. You might have different words on the recreational set that cater to more of an athlete or more of a Viking versus an athlete. So that's just one example of how clubs or tournament directors or vendors or suppliers of, of kid sets can, can kind of at least think and consider that there are different demographics, there are different profiles, uh, both aesthetic and for these sets. You know, there, there's psychographic profiles and there's aesthetic profiles. And it may it may come down to how you market it or how you advertise it. Yeah, exactly. And, and now even like when I'm playing in the tournaments or when we're kind of making decisions on what we're going to do, you know, we actually use these phrases or these things in, in our conversation even here you know with the Kube United directors it's like you know for instance like the consolation sometimes you're debating it's like ah it's a little bit extra work you know or you're doing all this but I think then we have the conversation it's like but you know what Vikings love it you know you take a look at those guys who are on standing on the podium who are on that consolation or bronze or sea bracket as we call it or you know they're cheering probably louder than the you know than the guys who win the overall tournament um, so it's just something we all you kind of have to consider is when you when you set up these tournaments you know it's like you, you want to keep them fun you want to have you know kind of keep keep both people engaged and, and the other side of the thing is don't forget about the athletes you know those you know that like you say athletes probably maybe tend to want to know you know who, who's coming to the tournament they want to know a lot more information up front they want to you know you know and so so don't really i guess when we're trying to market our tournaments we're really kind of looking at it, okay what's fun you know what are the viking type people what are they looking for and what are the athlete people looking for and i think some tournaments you know i've probably been guilty in the past of forgetting a little bit about the vikings but i think we're you know we're trying to incorporate more and more into that tournament you know because i know as you probably if you talk to all the kube united directors we're probably definitely much stronger on the athlete side of, of the viewpoint it, you know i think all market you know all of us need to be cognizant of that you know as we're trying to track people into our clubs and track to you know, attract people to our tournaments and, you know, and so sometimes, you know, and that's okay to maybe have something that leans one way more or the other. It's, it does, definitely doesn't hurt to look at it from the other perspective as well. Yeah, I guess in summary, I, I really found this to be a very good tool. Like Josh said, it was not intended to, to stereotype people. It's not really did, but it was when you really kind of look at it as a tool, um, as a player, it, it, hopefully you can gain, gain a little more perspective. And uh, so definitely want to, you know, want to congratulate Josh on what I, I felt like was a really good article that is a really good tool for the Coop community. The last thing I want to kind of wrap up here before we before we sign off is uh, we're going to talk a little about on August 26th. It's the first year tournament that's kind of the first tournament ever to happen in, well, can't, not really in eastern Iowa because the decor has been going on up there in the northeast, but down in this corridor area where we have kind of that area between Lake Cedar Rapids in Iowa City is it's kind of called the Eastern Corridor, um, and that is the Amana Tournament. It's uh, it's represented by the Iowa Games. The deadline passed on the Iowa Games website, but I know talking to Ron Heitman, you can still still sign up for that tournament. 
I'm not sure. If you have any questions, certainly email us at unitedwecoob at gmail.com. If you are interested in it, contact us on Facebook. We'll pass that information on to Ron. There's someone growing up in that area. Amana is kind of special as a tourist area. I mean, if you're kind of looking for kind of a cool kind of step back into, uh, you know, kind of an older past and, you know, kind of see some really cool old buildings and, you know, kind of rustic. It was it was built on, you know, it, it's not really Amish, but it was, it, was, it was a group that was kind of similar to that, that built the city, kind of communal living. Um, and so a lot of that remnant, it's a lot of the history. And there's some really good brewery there, Millhouse Brewery. It's going to be, we're basically going to be in their backyard playing this. Uh, awesome German food, all kinds of German restaurants. So uh, definitely, you know, consider playing that. Uh, I know Josh and Darren, you're both planning on being there as well, correct? Yep, everyone can come play, each of the three of us. <laughs> yep, yep. And, you know, I, I ran the tube tournament for the Iowa Games last couple of years. I think it was 2015, 2016, maybe, or 2014, 2015. And absolutely, you can show up the day of the tournament and get registered and get set up into the tournament so that you're set. So please, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that, you can absolutely let us know here at unitedwecoop at gmail dot com, and we will absolutely make sure that we know you're coming, and we'll let Ron know so that they have enough beer on hand for everyone. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And Ron Heitman is one of the really good guys at Coop. He's he's an older guy who's been running there down at Colony Coop. Been doing a lot of demonstrations. He's had people traveling, you know, because it is kind of a touristy area. Kind of be he's been kind of you know showing people Kube for the last two, three years now. So hopefully uh, we'd like to kind of help and really build that tournament up because uh, it, it is a really great location for first Kube tournament. So that's that's one I know we're really excited about. All right. So that's all we have for this week. Definitely, you know, really want to thank you all for joining our podcast and, and listening and supporting us. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Take care. We'll see you at the next tournament. Thank you all for listening, and please subscribe to Kube United Podcast at Blog Kube United on iTunes and Stitcher. And recently, we also just joined up on Google Play. Follow us at Kube United on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Good Kubing, everyone. Come